welcome to the Low-Tech Lecture Series. The following is an unedited lecture of a topic tangential to the Low Technology Institute. The ideas expressed are those of the speaker. We hope you find it informative and entertaining. As it is unedited, audio quality varies. Stay tuned after the lecture for information about the Low Technology Institute and its other offerings, or find us at lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com. Thanks and enjoy. This lecture series is a recording of the class Archaeology in the Prehistoric World from the spring semester of 2017, taught by Scott Johnson. So for every type of radiometric dating, and I'm going over this multiple times just because it's a little complicated, but it's also really important that we nail down the function, how it works. So we start with some sort of parent material. This is a group of isotopes. They're unstable. They're decaying. Right? This was represented by the dripping water bottle. This was the parent material. It decays, right? It uh, becomes stable by losing neutrons, whatever, and becomes a daughter material. That's not useful. The relative proportion is necessary to know and how fast it decays is necessary to know to calculate how long the parent material has been decaying. At the very beginning, we have 100% um, of the parent material. And then over time, that will reduce. When it hits 50%, that's what's known as a half-life. How long it takes for the parent material to disappear by half That amount of time is known as a half-life. Half-life, the amount of time it takes for half of the parent material to disappear, to turn into the daughter material. It doesn't disappear otherwise, well, unless you're you know, talking about an atomic explosion, I guess, and it's turned to energy through E equals MC squared. But we're not going to get into that. Oh, uh, National Geographic is having a really good looking uh, uh, documentary uh, series on Einstein, speaking of E equals mc squared. But anyway, it doesn't matter. We know that it's not disappearing. We know that it's just being converted into some daughter material. 50% goes away. That amount of time is a half-life. One half-life. Then uh, in the next half-life, the same amount of time, so when we get to two half-lives, we're going to be down to 25% because that is Half of half. So 50% of 50% is 25%. You go one more half-life, so what you have left reduces by half, so three half-lives. And we get down to 25, oops, sorry, 12.5%. Half of a half of a half, three half-lives, right? So there's two half-lives goes there, three half-lives goes there. And as you can see, it becomes an increasingly small part of the pie until we can't slice it anymore. And usually the effective range of all of these radiometric dating methods is 10 half-lives. After 10 half-lives, the difference is so small that you can't effectively count the amount of parent material left. Is that fairly clear? I know I've been repetitive and going over it in detail, but it's, it's not an intuitive thing. It's not like we can see this happening. The best I can do is that dripping thing, if you can think of a... Uh, a better visual aid, I'd be ecstatic to hear it if, if this has kind of sparked some idea with you. Let me know. Oh, and I should also mention, uh, I haven't mentioned it yet, 
Um, anyone who invents a time machine in the future and comes back to get me and then lets me go back in time, uh, automatic A. So just throwing that out there. Never know. You show up on my doorstep, to, future you shows up on my doorstep tomorrow with a time machine. We're done. Automatic A. For the whole class. How about that? I'll up the ante. Okay. So using what we know about radiometric dating, how the half-lives go down, we need to measure the parent, we need to measure the daughter, we need to know how long that half-life is to calculate how old something is. Let's look at radiocarbon dating, which is by far the most common and will almost certainly show up on the exam in some way, shape, or form because it is so ubiquitous. We are carbon-based life forms. Earth is a, <laughs> all life on Earth is carbon-based life forms. So if there's life, so you know, the last four billion years, uh, there's carbon, uh, carbon-based life. So although our effective range for carbon dating is not nearly that far back. This is sometimes called carbon-14 dating or C-14 dating, all kinds of radiocarbon dating. It's all the, all the same thing. So here's that half-life chart. But I filled in the half-life because we actually know what it is. So every 5,730 years, half of the original carbon-14 will have decayed. It will have dissipated. After 11,1460, we'll be down to 25%, right? And it goes down and down and down. And we can use this handy-dandy chart to calculate where we are. Anywhere on this curve, you give me 75%, we go over and down, and we get a year. You give me 37.28%, we go over and down, and we have our age, right? Very straightforward if you have this chart. Mm -hmm. 5,000. Um, and I should note that we've refined this. Um, when this was first defined in 1949 by uh, Libby, this guy here, very uh, madman-esque sort of suit guy. Not really, I guess not, whatever. Anyway, uh, when it was defined by him, he used a slightly different date that was within 100 years of the 5730 uh, half-life we know now, but as um, you know, you can see the giant machine he's using uh, was not as accurate. We uh, have a more defined or a more refined um, way to measure it now. Okay. So how does it work? Why do you even have carbon-14 in you? Everything in the atmosphere that exchanges uh, oxygen and other things with the atmosphere and the world around it has the same amount of carbon-14, CO2. It has the same ratio of carbon-14 as uh, everything else in the world because it's all exchanging CO2, right? So the people here stabbing the mammoth, the trees, the sedges that the mammoth ate, the air that they're breathing, um, everything that's alive, the fish uh, absorbing CO2, or the shellfish absorbing CO2 out of the ocean, everything. CO2 um, has that ratio of carbon-14. So when you die, you stop exchanging carbon-14 with the atmosphere. That is, you stop absorbing carbon-14. And you're not going to get it any other way because it's primarily created in the upper atmosphere when radiation um, changes normal carbon into this carbon-14 flavor, this unstable isotope carbon-14. So once you stop exchanging air and other, well, I guess, air with the uh, atmosphere, you stop your carbon-14 uh, absorption and your carbon-14 level degrades from there. It never goes back up. So the zero point for carbon-14 dating is death, which is great because, you know, with a coin in the trench, you don't know when the trench was made. With carbon-14, you know when that carbon 
stopped exchanging with the atmosphere when they're dead. Now again, it's a very rare isotope. Uh, for every one carbon-12, which is the standard carbon, the garden variety carbon, for every one of those, um, it's almost, mm, it's about a billion. It's about a billion uh, carbon-14 atoms. So very rare. But you're made up of billions and billions of carbon atoms, so, you know, there's plenty. So, in, in order to measure carbon-14 ratio of parent to daughter material, right, so if I draw the circle again here, our parent material is carbon-14. What does it decay to? Well, it decays to carbon-12, which is a problem, right? Because if I need to measure carbon-14 and carbon-12 to get the ratio, well, there's a whole bunch of other carbon-12 out here that just exist naturally. So what do we do? In this case, we're going to figure out what the old carbon-14 level was by measuring how much carbon-12 we have overall and then comparing the ratio. So if we know that uh, carbon-14 is one for every billion carbon-12 atoms, if we have 12 billion carbon-12 atoms, then we started with 12 carbon-14 atoms. So in this case, we are we're extrapolating. Um, because we can't measure the daughter materials directly because there's too much other daughter material already present. In other cases, we're going to measure directly how much of the parent and how much of the daughter. In this case, we have to figure out what the original amount was and how much has decayed by counting how many carbon-12 atoms we have and calculating then how many uh, carbon-14 atoms we started with. Now, this used to be, uh, to get this number, we would need something about the size of a grain of rice, and that would go into um, a observation apparatus. And they would watch it for months, and they would see how many little carbon-14 atoms pew, 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 decayed over a couple of months. And from that rate, they could extrapolate what percentage of the carbon-14 was left, because when there's a lot left, right, in the first 5,730 years, 50% of these are going to so when they first put a pretty fresh carbon-14 sample in there, it's going to be going gangbusters, pew, 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 shooting them all out. When it's older, they're going to be because there's less. Okay. Um, more recently, we've developed something called the uh, AMS, or the um, mass spectrometer, or accelerated mass spectrometer. Accelerated mass This counts the atoms individually, which is much more accurate. Right? Accurate, it gets closer to that bullseye of exactly how many are there. Um, accelerated mass spectrometer, or AMS dates. They can use a much smaller amount of wood, a couple milligrams. Um, oh, I take that back. The, the uh, amount of rice, that's what we need for AMS. That's a grain of rice. Uh, for typical, which also means much cheaper and more economical, uh, they need 10 to 20 grams. So 10 to 20 grams like a nickel or something like that. Sorry about that. So this can go back about 50,000 years. 
or a little more than that, you couldn't push it back to 60 if you have a really good sample because if 5,730 is the uh, half-life, you times that by 10, and that gives you your effective range. So about 57,000 years ago, more or less. But it's not quite that simple, not that it's necessarily simple. This assumes that the ratio between carbon-14 and carbon-12 in the atmosphere remains constant, and it doesn't. So we have to correct. At some points in the past, there was more carbon-14 relative to carbon-12. At some points, there was less. And so this poses a problem when we want to figure out our original amount by measuring the carbon-12. Say instead of one, I'm going to exaggerate the numbers, instead of one to one billion, now let's say it's, well, let's say it's two to one billion, right? You can see how that is quickly going to uh, mess up our calculations if we say, oh, we start with 12 billion carbon-14 atoms. Well, does that mean we have one carbon-14 atom or two carbon-14 atoms? Hard to, hard to tell, right? Um, so what we've had to do, and this is also pretty clever, is use dendrochronology. Remember that dendrochronology has the, the rings that go back every year. And what are trees made out of? Carbon. So what they've done is they've taken carbon dates on rings of wood that they know how old they are. Say this is the 4,000 years ago ring. They would take a chunk out of that, send it to the AMS data, and they would say, how old is this? Right? They'd do it blind. How old is this piece? And they'd say, oh, that is 3,872 years old. Ah. So we know that when the machine says 3,872, what the actual year is 4,000. So they did that systematically using carbon, uh, dendrochronological dates that they know because they counted the rings. Then they were able to create a correction curve, which is what this is. Woo! With this crazy curve, basically all it's doing is, say we have a date, and this date is 230. What you do is you just follow it over. When you hit this line and go down, it gives you your calibrated date. So this gives you your calibrated date. Again, you have to depend on the chart because this isn't something you can calculate. You can calculate once you know the half-life. You could figure that out. But this is a curve that you have to consult. They have all kinds of calculators online where you can put in your uncalibrated date, uncalibrated, and they'll kick out your calibrated date. Now, because this is a statistic, because it is not exact, right? Uh, the carbon date. Unfortunately, the recording was interrupted at this point, and the rest of the lecture was lost. Thanks for listening to this low-tech lecture. Find out more by visiting our website, lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com. There you'll find the low-tech podcast, our blog, our event calendar, and other things going on around the institute. You can subscribe to this lecture or our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and many other podcasting apps. The background music is Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto No. 2 in C minor and is in the public domain. This podcast is under the Creative Commons Attribution and Share Like License, meaning you're free to use and share it as long as you provide credit.